last week, Pastor David introduced us to our new regenerational series. And yes, that is a made up word because everyone in my sermon, it's auto-corrected to regeneration. Uh, This is the first step on our journey as a church to start thinking about what it means to be truly intergenerational. So not cross-generational, not segmented multi-generational, but honestly interconnected, interrelational and intergenerational as a church. Who else finds this really exciting? Okay, Okay, now be honest, who finds it a little bit terrifying? Yeah, more hands went up for the second one. (laughs) Well, I think it's really good that we just acknowledge that. Uh, That change can be a scary thing. It can be a daunting thing. uh, And it can be a difficult thing at times. Not always, though. And this is why I'd like to start today by sharing with you a bit of my faith story. Now, I've got to confess straight up that I am a big advocate for intergenerational church and discipleship, and I've been banging on about it for a while now. And it's not just because I've done a fair bit of research, um, and I know that a lot of what's coming out of the research into church at the moment is saying that it's a really excellent thing for discipleship, and it's a good thing for our witness to the broader world. It's also not just because... I know that statistically it's going to be the thing that saves uh, the church from this massive faith decline and drop-off that we're seeing in 16 to 30-year-olds at the moment. Now, the main reason I actually am so on board with this idea is because it has been a reality in my own life. Many of you would know that I was not from a Christian family and I came to faith at six years old through an RE class at school. But I haven't really shared much beyond that. I had never really confessed that I wasn't really involved in generational ministry, or I should say I was never really involved in programs that uh, segmented you out based on your age group. The first church I was ever part of was a Catholic parish, and beyond the primary school that was attached, they didn't have a kids' ministry. And then I moved later in my childhood to a Baptist church Uh, and I was honestly just a very terrible attendee at their children and youth programs because I much preferred sitting in church and not because of the sermons. I was probably too young for those. I much preferred the company of adults and the ability to serve in multiple ministries rather than be segmented into a program away based on my age. I really loved the church because it was a place where I got to interact with so many different people from different age groups and different backgrounds. Uh, I remember one of the first ever small groups or Bible studies that I was a part of as a teenager, and it was a bit daunting, I've got to say, but it had a range of generations in that group. I was the youngest, but there was also a range of different life experiences. It had people who were working full-time, there were those who were retired in the group, There was a uni student, stay-at-home mums, and there was a person on disability who was living in public housing. And then there were people on multi-hundred-thousand-dollar salaries living in uh, mansions in that group. It was a massive mix of people with a mix of experiences who interacted with their faith in a multitude of ways. And they all had really unique experiences of God 
and that the way they interacted with Jesus and scripture and the spirit. There was a variety of learning styles and gifts within that group, but we were all united in our love of Jesus and our desire to be good disciples. Being in an intergenerational community like this really helped me as I was forming my faith. I was able to see many different examples and different experiences uh, of people interacting with God. Intergenerational church served me incredibly well when I was a teenager. And so when I got sick at about 16 with my brain tumour, I think it set me up incredibly well because I had already been around adults who were facing their own health challenges. I'd already come to terms with the fact that our bodies were going to decline at some point and I was very aware of the fragility of our physical selves, probably in a way many other teenagers weren't. Beyond that, I had seen people at my church rely on their faith in Jesus. I'd had a front seat to see them wrestle. I'd been alongside them in the journey, seeing the realities of life and faith. And I also had this massive community of support, as well as people that I already trusted to go and seek support from or to just be with and to pray with. I felt known at church and I felt seen at church. And I've got to say, it's not because that church was perfect. It had a lot of warts and bumps and ugly bits to it as well, but I think this was a really profound experience. The ways we all supported and learnt from one another were profound. And in our society, I think it was quite countercultural. I know a lot of my high school friends at the time found it completely puzzling that one of my best friends was an 80-year-old woman from church. The ways that we all supported and learnt from one another were profound. And, oh, I've already read that. Whoopsies. That's how excited I am about it. <laughs> no, it wasn't actually until I was 20 and I went off to Bible college that I was placed in my first ever small group with people of my own age and people of the same gender as me. This admittedly was a really lovely experience as I was someone who had never had peer Christian friends before. And many of those women are still my closest friends today. However, I will say it was a little bit shocking to me that when I got there, it didn't seem that they had the same experience of church that I had. Uh, the experience, they didn't have this intergenerational connections as I did, which I thought was just what every church did, and, and that's what I saw in scripture. I felt that that was probably the way all communities worked. I've got to say, eight years on from Bible college now and eight years on from when that small group was formed, I still love that group very much and we still meet. But of the six of us women who were dedicated enough to go to Bible college, I'm actually the only one now who still has an active faith and attends a church community. And this is a pattern that faith researchers are finding very common in my generation and the generations below and above mine they find that those who have four meaningful connections with someone outside of their generation are much more likely to still have a faith into their 30s. The impact of intergenerational relationships and community on my faith, where I had adults that took me seriously, 
and wanted to explore with me. Even if at times I'm sure it felt limiting to them and at times it probably felt limiting to me as well. But that experience was profound. And I know that it was profound for them as well. They grew from the questions that I was bold enough to ask, our exploring our gifts together and taking new approaches to learning and to worshipping and to serving. We also reflect, when I speak to some of those people now, on how it helped us to appreciate and accept differences. We live in a very polarised society, but being part of a group of people different to me, we learnt to pursue love and relationship and value one another's insights, even if at first we didn't share the same opinions. And I truly believe that's something we've lost the art of in our culture. I share this with you as part of my testimony not to minimise the challenges of intergenerational church. I don't want to sugarcoat it or play down that there will be awkward moments of intergenerational worship and ministry. There are always struggles that we experience when we expose ourselves to different and new things. But that's not a reason not to do it. I share this with you today because I genuinely believe the fruits of intergenerational life and church far outweigh any awkwardness, uncomfortableness or fear that we might have. And I believe, as David explored last week, that it's the model for church that we have been given in scripture. So today I want to explore with you the intergenerational church and what it means for us to be regenerational using three images the image of the orchestra, the compass, and from Paul, the body. So first of all, we'll look at the orchestra. Regenerational churches are places that are open to everybody contributing at all different levels. They are communities that encourage all generations to share the input and the power. And that can inevitably mean that some have to wiggle a little and give up some of their control over certain things that they have seen as their domain in the church. Regenerational churches see change as inevitable and ongoing. As new generations grow and mature and change, they make space for the next generation. This change can renew, regrow and revive as part of a cycle of regeneration. When we talk about cultural shifts, though, like this in church life or really any part of society, we often use a metaphor of passing the baton, which I think is the slide before, Greg. Sorry, I've jumped them around. But I think for the cultural change that we're inviting here at BNBC, it's actually a little bit of a flawed metaphor. You see, when we use the relay metaphor that moment of passing the baton is actually when the baton is most vulnerable to being dropped. And so we all can tend to hold on a little bit too long and don't let it go, not fully trusting the next runner. The other reason that I think it's quite flawed is because it means that once you've let go, you're kind of standing there, redundant, doing your stretches so that you don't sort of, you know, seize up while the race just goes on without you. 
And that is not what we are trying to do as a regenerational church. Instead, let me invite you to view this transformation in our church life as joining an orchestra. Joining an orchestra is an invitation to musicians of any instrument and ability to come alongside existing members and learn to play together by listening to each other. New members may bring new music as well as learning the old favourites. They will always change the overall sound of the whole orchestra in a way that renews and refreshes it while allowing for the history of the orchestra to still be heard. As we seek to be regenerational, I pray that we see our church not as a relay, but as an orchestra. That we honour our history. We honour everyone who is here while being open to the Spirit's renewal in ourselves and in our community. The next image I want us to consider is that of a map and a compass. Last Sunday, Pastor David guided us through a little bit of a map of where we had been as a church over the last 10 years that he and Michelle had been here. And he especially focused on some of the generation ministries, your families, youth, children, uh, seniors ministries. There are many joyful highlights and even some tricky, tricky spots on BMBC's journey to where we stand as a church today. Now, some of you might have noticed that I wasn't actually here last Sunday. Don't worry, I did not sleep in or just decide church wasn't for me, and I was able to watch the service later. Last week, I actually attended another church service at Ashburton Baptist, where they were inducting my friend and mentor, Reverend Katrina Lambert, as their senior pastor. You might have remembered her from my induction service when she spoke. Now, in her first ever sermon to her new church community, which I imagine was a bit daunting, she shared this story. She said, a Gurkha, Gurkha rifleman escaped from a Japanese prison in the South Burma and walked 600 miles alone through the jungle to freedom. The journey took him five months, but he never asked the way and he never lost his way. For one thing, he could not actually speak Burmese, and for another, he regarded all Burmese as traitors. He used a map, and when he reached India, he showed it to the intelligence officers who wanted to know all about his odyssey. Marked in pencil were all the turns he had taken, the roads, the trail forks he'd passed, all of the rivers that he had crossed. This map had served him incredibly well. That map, however, the intelligence officers did not find very useful, as it was a street map of London. <laughs> Katrina shared this story with her new congregation to illustrate how we all hold a map of how we think church life should work. Some may have a map, she said, ready to hand her as their new pastor with strict instructions of the route the church should take. Others in the congregation might be hoping that she showed up with a really great map that would turn it around. However, she encouraged the church at Ashburton, and I think it's an invitation to us too, really, not to be too bogged down by the map. 
and instead focus on the compass, the thing that points everyone true north, guiding them together. Maps can be difficult to read. They might be incorrect. But the compass of God's spirit is something everyone should be united in following. I think that same message applies to us here at BNBC as we look together hoping to be a regenerational church. In a moment, we're going to explore that image of the body that Paul sets out in 1 Corinthians 12 that Marg read out for us. But before we do, I'd like us to explore some of the background of Paul's teachings and what I think Paul would assert is our compass as Christ's followers. In this part of his letter, Paul is responding to some disunity in the church community in Corinth. We're not told precisely what is causing the disunity, but the outworking of it seems to be that they are disagreeing about the importance of different spiritual gifts and the roles that different people play in this new Christian community in the first century. This is where Paul asked the Corinthians to stop, to remember their life before they were living in the spirit of God, the spirit that speaks to them and guides them. He asked the Corinthians to reflect on the juxtaposition between that life before the spirit and their life now, a life where they can hear from God, but also respond to and communicate back to God. Paul writes to them about how the spirit is never-ending. It's an infinite pool that they have been baptised into, which is there to foster their capacity to live together and to love together and to follow Jesus. And so we find Paul discussing gifts of the spirit that seem to be causing some confusion in Corinth. Paul affirms that the spirit may give many gifts and that they will be expressed differently from person to person. He reiterates that there isn't a hierarchy for those gifts and that all gifts come from the one spirit, God's Holy Spirit, and that the diversity of those gifts is a very good thing for their community. In fact, in verse 7, which Marg read out for us, we're told, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The Spirit and gifts are poured out to individuals and not for their own gain, but for the common good of the whole, for the common good of the community of disciples in Corinth. And I point all of this out to say that that is the exact same Spirit that we have living in, through and with us today. And that should be our compass on the road of discipleship. It guides us as we read about passages of unity and church's spiritual gifts so that they're not just a nice thing, but the main thing to follow that Holy Spirit. It reminds us that the Holy Spirit guides us and points us in the direction of the common good for every single person in the community. And so as we stand at this crossroads as a church, the map that David showed us last week of where we have been and a multitude of other maps and options that could guide us forward, let us pause and instead first and foremost 
turn to the compass, God's spirit which guides us for our common good. And as a community, we've actually discerned in the spirit what we wish our common good to be. It's right there on our banner beneath our logo. Together, we have discerned the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that our common good is to be expressed as being a church where finding and following Jesus is accessible to all. And so this is where we reach our third and final image for today, one that comes straight from the second part of chapter 12 in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And I'm going to read it for us again now, or part of it at least. We find the image of the church as a body, and not just any body, but Christ's body. That's the least disturbing picture of a body I could find. (laughs) So from verse 14, it says, Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed every part in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Now, I tried to get a great image using AI for you of, of some of those, those things, but they were too creepy to show on a Sunday morning. Can you just imagine a whole body of eyeballs? Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it, is that final verse 27. This is a very profound teaching in Paul's time. He is writing in this hierarchical Greco-Roman world where there's a really strong and ingrained cultural order that dictates that some skills, some gifts, uh, some lines of work, some people are better and more important than others. So when Paul goes on to list insignificant body parts that represent the people and the gifts that this society deems less than, and he goes on to actually say that not only are they equal, but God has given them greater honour, Paul is just flipping everything on its head for the people in Corinth. It can be really easy, though, for us to read a scripture like this and assume that our society has moved on from there, that we are now a society that really embraces diversity and our community here at BNBC has done that because we're not in that same hierarchical Roman culture as the Corinthians. But instead, I would like us to pause and to think about whether all the body parts that make up our BMBC body are being given equal opportunity to grow as disciples of Jesus. This is just as much a question for myself and the pastoral team as it is for each one of us as we discern and choose which relationships we pursue in the church. I want us to think about the unspoken rules of our faith community and the ways that we teach and learn. 
I want us to think about the choices we make about the times and the places and the ways that we gather as a community. The language that we use, those who are given the ability to make the decisions and the ways that we've decided to serve and explore and structure our community. I want you to think about the traditions we choose to participate in and the ones we don't. And think about the spiritual gifts that we encourage and the ones that we might be weary of. Most importantly, as we think about being regenerational, I want you to think about how different age groups and generations experience our community. Think about how different cultural backgrounds might come here and experience our community. The way that people with diverse needs and social abilities might experience our community and how they interact with God and others in this place. For Paul, our unity as a congregation is grounded in the broader unity of Christ to humanity. To be unified as a church, we must be grounded in the unity of Christ with humanity, made possible by his life, death and resurrection. For Paul, this symbolises the very heart of the gospel message. No one is ever written off. No one is ever excluded. No one is ever beyond that unity and relationship with Christ. This body, Christ's body, the church here on earth, is a place of compassion, generosity and relationship for all with one another and with our creator. As a church, we are multi-layered, just like a body with multiple parts working together we have multiple parts. Being a regenerational church means embracing those parts. We're called to be multi-dimensional, multi-gifted, multi-experienced, multi-traditioned, multicultural and multi-generational as a body. I want us to be a multi-community. Therefore, our expression of community Our expression of worship and of living out our faith can never be a one-dimensional one. We have to be multi-dimensional. Our motto is to find and follow Jesus. So the question that this sermon series is really at the heart inviting us to ask ourselves is, is the way we worship and interact with one another, the way we teach and explore faith, helping everybody in this body to find and follow Jesus? Or is it just working for some of us? The vision of the regenerational church is that we gather in really intentional and inclusive ways which enable us to enjoy this multi-layered, multi-sensory and multi-abled life in all of its fullness. Just as we see Paul teaching through this image of the body with many parts, Our differences enable us to experience different facets of God's love and grace, to see different dimensions of our stories of faith, to discover different connections to our tradition, yet to express our shared calling as the body of Christ, as to enable growth as all of his disciples. 
So the invitation today is to lay down whatever map you might have of how church should be. To firmly follow the compass of God's spirit, pursuing the common good of every person here at BMBC. To embrace some changes that would see all parts of the body find and follow Jesus in more life-transforming ways. And as we do, we're going to enjoy a new sound. We will make as this orchestra together, all playing together as one. Let's pray with one another. Loving God, we ask that you would help us to see the many different ways that those who are part of our body and those who will become part of our body at BMBC learn, experience and encounter you. Let us be open to trying new things so that all can come and follow you. Let us acknowledge that change can be hard, but that you invite us into transformation and that you are with us every step of the way. Help us to know how we can be involved in and active in the regenerational efforts of this community. Help all generations at BMBC to be empowered to love one another well and move past surface level relationships to truly knowing one another. God, our whole lives are firmly directed by your compass, your Holy Spirit poured out to us. Help us to set aside personal endeavours and comfort for the common good of all your disciples in this body those here with us now and those who will be part of BMBC's body long into the future. Amen.